Fed can just print more money out of thin air, but the government's always going to be in debt to the Fed. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a nice little bonus episode of Dangerous World Podcast. I'm, of course, uh, your host, Ryan Dean here. This is George Soros' favorite podcast, according to Chartable.com. Very proud of that. Um, This episode here is uh, much shorter than you may be used to uh, if you are a longtime listener. But um, a lot of people have been talking about this Yuval Harari. Full name, Yuval Noah Harari. And I wanted to sort of recycle a great little uh, Patreon episode that I did. This is the kind of stuff that you'll get over at the Patreon if you uh, throw down $3. Um, this was an extended portion of episode 187, I believe. I do want to double check that. Uh, 187, the NFT scam or art episode that i did with ryan hogue who's also a really really smart dude and i felt like this whole technocratic thing fit in with what uh ryan and i were talking about it was the episode with two ryans very confusing but um this was essentially the bonus portion because i didn't want to cut any of it out we only spoke for a short amount of time and uh, i didn't feel like i wanted to put any of our conversation behind a paywall so i was like okay what could i tie in that would fit in well with this whole technocratic universe and the future and all this BS. And uh, I had heard people back then, and this was, shoot, when did I release this? December 27th last year. So, um, you know, I think that we spoke before Christmas and I was just like, dude, this Yuval Harari guy is picking up some steam with some of the, uh, you know, really, really good researchers. I think I heard about, him from Whitney Webb and Whitney Webb obviously light years ahead of most of the reporting that goes on even in this alt media world this is a speech from 2020 that I read through the World Economic Forum's little uh, conference that they do and he says that you know things like if the rats knew what we were going to do to them they would rise up and they would kill us you're the rats you're the rats in his analogy I'm the rat in his analogy. They don't look at you any higher than they would look at a freaking varmint, right? Like a a pest. They would poison you. And they are. They would um, extort you in any way possible. Any way that they can use you, they would. And that's what they're doing. And a lot of people consider him now, today, and, you know, I'm recording this intro and you're probably going to hear this on uh, 4-27-2022. Man, the guy is, is just brazen with what he talks about. 
And, you know, on his website here, he's got his fingerprint, what I'm assuming is his fingerprint. Um, That's the logo of his site. And his full name is Yuval Noah Harari. He's a professor and a historian, also a philosopher and a best-selling author of Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, also Homo Deus, A Brief History of Tomorrow, also 21 Lessons of the 21st Century, and Sapiens, A Graphic History. So um, his books have sold over 35 million copies in 65 languages. He's considered one of the world's most influential public intellectuals today. It's a mouthful. He's definitely got a resume behind him. Um, this dude's an Israeli. He's an atheist. He's a homosexual. Um, nothing against any of that. But I do reference several times that I have a big problem with how much he references God um, and the way that he references God, being a homosexual atheist. Now, again, I don't think that the gays should be killed. I don't think the atheists should be killed. And I don't think the Israelis should be killed. I don't have a problem with this guy if he was just like someone that I ran into on the street. I think that my problem with him and a lot of people's problem with him is the way that he talks about you and me and the way that he talks about the average everyday person. Um, his husband is this uh, Itzik Yahav, which I, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right because that is one of the annoying things if you don't pronounce someone's name correctly. Um, I think that you'll find this speech to be very, very problematic, to say the least. There's uh, some serious issues with the shit this dude says. He's got a lot of ideas on uh, you know, power and imagination, science and religion, ecology, uh, money and politics, future and happiness. Those are categories of work that you can check out at ynharari.com. And um, yeah, just a, a very, very interesting dude in a lot of negative ways. I would not want to uh, be tied in with this guy personally. Really, really close with Klaus Schwab. And like I said, I'm releasing this Patreon episode for you. I'm not going to make a habit out of this because I, I I really do appreciate the people that throw money down for my Patreon, whether it's three or five dollars. It's nothing a month. And I, I hope that some of you guys will come over there and you'll check out some of the work that I've done. I don't expect you to throw down ten dollars. The people that do that, I, uh, I I really, truly appreciate. But I don't expect that. I do expect to get some sort of compensation. You know what I mean? I don't think that that's a problem to ask for $3 a month for a ton of fucking content, especially if you're getting in right now. That's less than a gallon of gas, dude. Okay. You can do that. And I, I, I would have really appreciate it, but um, a lot of people are talking about this guy. I wanted to share what I had talked about. Uh, You know, what is this? Five months ago, basically. Yeah. Five months ago, six months ago, really. December of last year, um, I think that more more and more people are going to talk about this guy. And I'm interested to hear what you think about uh, Yuval Harari after you hear this, after you hear his speech. You can watch the speech online. All you have to do is type in Yuval Harari 2020 WEF speech. And I'm sure that you can find that pretty easily. It's uh, not a terribly long speech. I read through the whole thing and I give my thoughts. And this was just the first time that I had ever heard of the guy. So it's not the deepest dive. You may know some of the stuff already. Um, but 
it's uh just something that I felt like I wanted to contribute to. And uh yeah, just a weird, weird little guy, man. Anytime you have an atheist talking about God and saying that this is God's will, what God are they talking about? You know what I mean? Um you you figured that out yourself here, and uh, I appreciate you guys for all the support. So enjoy the episode. Again, this is episode 187. Uh, digging back into the uh, the archives, so to speak, and playing something that I normally would not play unless you're coughing up a little doubt. So uh, thank you so much. And uh, the Patreon is for people that want knowledge. Obviously, the free feed is for entertainment. If you want knowledge, I recommend the Patreon, guys. Patreon.com slash Dangerous World Podcast. I hate plugging. I don't really like being the salesman type dude, but you know we're all trying to make a nut here. And uh, help me out, guys. If you if you see any valid information, if you like the show, three dollars you're not going to miss. I promise. So thank you so much. Enjoy this episode 187 with Ryan Hogue. Um, he's not in this episode, obviously, but this is that bonus portion. And uh, here we go. Thank you all for supporting the Patreon. And as I was mentioning at the beginning of the episode, I wanted to do something a little different here. I wanted to shed some light on one of the very disturbing speeches of the World Economic Forum, the Davos deal that we all have really heard about since Klaus Schwab has been really fulfilling the role of a Bond villain, right? I mean, this guy is very interesting. And he's passionate, it seems, about taking everything away from you and your family to benefit Earth. A lot of like-minded individuals at this event. And I wanted to talk about this speech from 2020, dude by the name Yuval Harari. Um, You may know him as Yuval Noah Harari. But this guy's an interesting character. And I want to kind of break it down the same way that... I was, you know, kind of introduced to this guy. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to read through his speech and I'm going to kind of interrupt every once in a while and break down my thoughts on on some of the key points. And then after that, I'll tell you who the guy is and sort of his controversy and everything. To, to be honest, out of the speakers, I don't know if he's the worst human being there. Clearly not. If Klaus Schwab's in the room, he's got to be at least second. But um he makes some decent points here to say the least, but I think that's what happens when these people grow up through academia and they really know how, uh, how to spin words around and how to play into their own agenda. So without knowing hardly anything about this dude, cause I'm sure you don't, you know, I didn't know anything about the guy and he's, um, he's a great speaker, but very, very, uh, interesting to listen to nonetheless. So, uh, without further ado, let me read through this speech. And then I will explain who this guy is, but very disturbing, very interesting. And these are some of the thoughts that are getting tossed around uh, at the World Economic Forum with some of the most powerful globalists in the room. So he starts off, as we enter the third decade of the 21st century, humanity faces so many issues and questions that it is really hard to know what to focus on. So I would like to use these next 20 minutes to help us focus of all the the different issues that we face. Three problems pose existential challenges to our species. These three existential challenges are nuclear war, ecological collapse, 
and technological disruption. We should focus on them. And he has a little PowerPoint presentation behind him with nuclear weapons, a dead tree, and a satellite. Okay. Now, nuclear war and ecological collapse are already familiar threats. So let me spend some time explaining the less familiar threat posed by technological disruption. In Davos, we hear so much about the enormous promises of technology. And these promises are certainly real. But technology might also disrupt human society and the very meaning of human life in numerous ways, ranging from the creation of a global useless class to the rise of data colonialism and of digital dictatorships. First, we might face upheavals on the social and economic level. Automation will soon eliminate millions upon millions of jobs, and while new jobs will certainly be created, it is unclear whether people will be able to learn the necessary new skills fast enough. Suppose you're a 50 years old truck driver, and you just lost your job to self-driving vehicles. Now, there are new jobs in designing software or in teaching yoga to engineers, which is an interesting thing. I just have to throw that out there. He points out yoga specifically as a, like a class at some of these big tech firms. But now, does a 50 years old truck driver reinvent himself or herself as a software engineer or as a yoga teacher? And people will have to do it not just once, but again and again throughout their lives. Because the automation revolution will not be a single watershed event following which the job market will settle down into a new equilibrium. Rather, it will be a cascade of even bigger disruptions because AI is nowhere near its full potential. Old jobs will disappear. New jobs will emerge. But then the new jobs will rapidly change and vanish. Whereas in the past humans had to struggle against exploitation. In the 21st century, the really big struggle will be against irrelevance. And it's much worse to be irrelevant than exploited. Those who will fall in the struggle against irrelevance would constitute a new useless class. People who are useless, not from the viewpoint of their friends and family, but useless from the viewpoint of the economic and political system. And this useless class will be separated by an ever-growing gap from the ever more powerful elite. The AI revolution might create unprecedented inequality, not just between classes, but also between countries. In the 19th century, a few countries like Britain and Japan industrialized first, and they went on to conquer and exploit most of the world. If we aren't careful... The same thing will happen in the 21st century with AI. Now, glossing over the fact that it is completely different having technology versus industrialization, um, he's very off with this. He's, he's extremely off, in my opinion. I, I do agree that AI is not good, but comparing it in the same way to the exploitative nature of what was going on in the industrial revolution. Um, I don't think that there's hardly any comparison here other than the fact that someone's going to have an upper hand. So getting back to the speech here, we're already in the midst of an AI arms race with China and the USA leading the race and most countries being left far, far behind. Unless we take action to distribute the benefit of power of AI between all humans, 
AI will likely create immense wealth in a few high-tech hubs, while other countries will either go bankrupt or become exploited data colonies. So what he's saying here, he wants everyone to have access to AI. Now, a dummy like myself would think that this would make AI explode quicker. It would it would bring AI full automation to a quicker reality. It would become reality quicker, I should say, if all countries are working on this thing. I don't see the logic that this dude is trying to to sow here. But again, he's in a room full of like-minded people and he's throwing these ideas out, comparing brand new, cutting edge, like not even really existing technology to old technology. You know, things things change when you're dealing with something that's very high tech versus something low tech like coal and industry, railroads, uh, gas, oil, all these things. Back to the speech. Now, we aren't talking here about a science fiction scenario of robots rebelling against humans. Of course not. We are talking about far more primitive AI, which is nevertheless enough to disrupt the global balance. Think about what he just said. Primitive AI. Come on. (laughs) Just think what will happen to developing economies once it is cheaper to produce textiles or cars in California than in Mexico. Hmm. And what will happen to politics in our country in 20 years when somebody in San Francisco or Beijing knows the entire medical and personal history of every politician, every judge and every journalist in your country, including all their sexual escapades, all their mental weaknesses and all their corrupt dealings? Will it still be an independent country or will it become a data colony? We're already data colonies. I have to say this. It doesn't matter any, any, you know, the people that don't have access to technology in, in, in like wide, widespread throughout the country of theirs, they're actually more secure from the data collection. And he's not seeming to make that point clear here. He's saying that everyone needs to have the same access to AI. It's more of that gaslighting that I've been talking about lately. So when you have enough data, you don't need to send soldiers in order to control a country. Alongside inequality, the other major danger we face is the rise of digital dictatorships that will monitor everyone all the time. This danger can be stated in the form of a simple equation, which I think might be the defining equation of life in the 21st century. Now, this is an interesting equation that he lays out here. He says B times C times D equals A-A-H, or ah, with an exclamation point, like a scream, like ah. It's which means biological knowledge, which is the B, multiplied by computing power, the C, multiplied by data, the D, equals the ability to hack all humans. That's what A-H-H stands for, ability to hack humans. A-A-H, A-H-H, sorry, or ah. So it's a very interesting little graphic that he pulls up, and it's just a simple equation. And the idea of hacking humans, uh, this is clearly something that should be of concern to everyone, but this is something that he's laying out, and he's acting like he is concerned about this while simultaneously saying that more people need access to AI and to the technology that could could uh, really have the snowball effect, right? Or the uh, 
the tumbleweed if you're out in the desert like me i mean like as these things keep progressing they grow quicker and quicker they get bigger and then like at a certain point you can't stop this so back to the speech just just remember that the i'm going to repeat that that equation really quick biological intelligence multiplied by computing power multiplied by data equals the ability to hack humans fascinating it's a really interesting concept if you know enough biology and have enough computing power and data you can hack my body and my brain and my life and you can understand me better than i understand myself you can know my personality type my political views my sexual preferences my mental weaknesses my deepest fears and hopes you know more about me than i know about myself and you can do that not just to me but everyone A system that understands us better than we understand ourselves can predict our feelings and decisions, can manipulate our feelings and decisions, and can ultimately make decisions for us. Now, in the past, many governments and tyrants wanted to do it, but nobody understood biology well enough, and nobody had enough computing power and data to hack millions of people. Neither the Gestapo nor the KGB could do it, but as soon as But soon, at least some corporations and governments will be able to systematically hack all the people. We humans should get used to the idea that we are no longer mysterious souls. We are now hackable animals. That's what we are. Now, one thing after looking into this guy, I I do have to throw out there. He's an atheist. This guy is an atheist. He doesn't believe in the soul. So this is more gaslighting. This is gaslighting big time and this is what's really tragic about these things because he's making good points but if this guy was like a a renowned religious it does i don't care what religion if he believed in the idea of a soul this would mean something but you have this dude that's part of like the academic universe and he's spewing out this shit saying that like no our, our data is sacred we need to we need to keep this keep this to ourselves we're no longer mysterious souls we're now hackable animals That's what he literally thinks at this point. We are hackable animals. He's telling you what you are. He's never believed in a soul. Maybe he did when he was young, but he doesn't anymore. He's an atheist. The power to hack humans can be used for good purposes, like providing much better health care. But if this power falls into the hands of a 21st century Stalin, the result will be the worst totalitarian regime in human history. And we already have a number of applicants for the job of a 21st century Stalin. Just imagine North Korea in 20 years when everybody has to wear a biometric bracelet, which constantly monitors monitors your blood pressure, your heart rate, your brain activity, 24 hours a day. You listen to a speech on the radio by the great leader, and they know what you actually feel. You can clap your hands and you can smile, but if you're angry on the inside, they know it. And you'll be in the gulag tomorrow. And if we allow the emergence of such total surveillance regimes, don't think that the rich and powerful in places like Davos will be safe. Just ask Jeff Bezos. In Stalin's USSR, the state monitored members of the communist elite more than anyone else. The same will be true for the future total surveillance regimes. The higher you are in the hierarchy, the more closely you'll be watched. Do you want your CEO of your pres- or your president to know what you really feel about them? 
So it is in the interest of all humans, including the elites, to prevent the rise of such digital dictatorships. And in the meantime, if you get the suspicious WhatsApp message from a uh, prince, don't open it. And I was watching the speech and everyone laughs when they say this, but they're, they're being swept up in this dude's speech because it is provocative. It's very interesting. He's literally telling you, and, and these are elites at this, at this, at this conference. He's telling them like, you guys need to be worried about this too, but they all know they're all in on the joke. They all know that we don't have to worry about this shit. Yeah. We all hate each other and that's fine. We just need to get rid of the rats and you'll understand who the rats are here in a second. Now, if we, if we intend, Oh no, I'm sorry. If we indeed prevent the establishment of the digital dictatorships, the ability to hack humans might still undermine the very meaning of human freedom, because as humans, we rely on AI to make more and more decisions for us. Authority will shift from humans to algorithms, and this is already happening. Already today, billions of people trust the Facebook algorithm to tell us what is actually new. The Google algorithm tells us what is true. Netflix tells us what to watch. And the Amazon uh, algorithm and Alibaba algorithm tells us what to buy. In the not-so-distant future, similar algorithms might tell us where to work and who to marry, and also decide whether to hire us for a job, whether to give us a loan, whether the central bank should raise the interest rate. And if you ask why you were not given the loan and why you, the bank didn't raise the interest rate, the answer will always be the same because the computer says no. That's the answer, always. And since the limited human brain lacks sufficient biological knowledge, computing power, and data, humans will simply not be able to understand the computer's decisions. So even in supposedly free countries, humans are likely to lose control over our own lives and also lose the ability to understand public policy. Already now, how many humans understand the financial system? Maybe 1%. To be very generous, maybe 1%. In a couple of decades, the number of humans capable of understanding the financial system will be exactly zero. Now, we humans are used to thinking about life as a drama of decision-making. What will be the meaning of human life when most decisions are taken by algorithms? We don't even have philosophical models to understand such an existence. The usual bargain between philosophers and politicians is that philosophers have a lot of fanciful ideas, and politicians basically explain that they lack the means to implement these ideas. Now we are in an opposite situation. We're facing philosophical bankruptcy. The twin revolutions of infotech and biotech are now giving politicians the means to create heaven or hell. But the philosophers are having trouble conceptualizing what the new heaven and the new hell will look like. And that's a very dangerous situation. Again, the guy's atheist, doesn't believe in a heaven or hell, by definition, right? If we fail to conceptualize the new heaven quickly enough, we might be easily misled by naive utopias. And if we fail to conceptualize the new hell quickly enough, we might find ourselves entrapped with no way out. Finally, technology might disrupt not just our economy, politics, and philosophy, but also our biology. 
In the coming decades, AI and biotechnology will give us godlike abilities to re-engineer life and even to create completely new life forms. After 4 billion years of organic life shaped by natural selection, we are about to enter a new era of inorganic life shaped by intelligent design. It's it, it's kind of mind-blowing to me. I didn't really make the connection um, that this dude was an atheist. And, and when I was listening to this speech for the first time, um, he sure does mention God and, and heaven and like hell and all these things a lot for not believing in this stuff. Um, there's something very wrong with that. In my opinion, I feel like he's just very much misleading you. And so for, for that reason, I can't believe that he's sincere about his concern for AI, right? Back to the speech here. Our intelligent design is going to be the new driving force for the evolution of life. And in using our new divine powers, divine powers, huh? our new divine powers of creation, we might make mistakes on a cosmic scale. In particular, governments, corporations, and armies are likely to use technology to enhance human skills that they need. Talking intelligence and discipline, like neglecting other human skills like compassion, artistic sensitivity, and spirituality, which he doesn't believe in. The Well, maybe, you know what, maybe he does believe in spirituality because I know that there's some atheists that believe in spirituality, but um, I feel like you have to believe in a spirit or a soul in order to to really um, accept that as a legitimate idea. Now, the result might be a race of humans who are very intelligent and very disciplined, but lack compassion, lack artistic sensitivity, and lack spiritual depth. Of course, this is not a prophecy. These are just possibilities. Technology is never deterministic. Well, we know that, it, of course, it is a prophecy that they're trying to fulfill. Whether it gets fulfilled or not, I think is up to us, honestly. In the 20th century, people used the same industrial technology to build very different kinds of societies. Fascist dictatorships, communist regimes, liberal democracies. The same thing will happen in the 21st century. AI and biotech will certainly transform the world. But we can use them to create a very different kind of society and all kinds of different societies and if you're afraid of some of the possibilities i've mentioned you can still do something about it but to do something effective we need global cooperation all the three existential challenges we face are global problems that demand global solutions whenever a leader says something like my country first we should remind that leader that no nation can prevent nuclear war or stop ecological collapse by itself and no nation can regulate ai and bioengineering itself now keep that in mind that he's taking a, a deliberate jab at trump which i i'm fine with it, you know i'm not too attached to trump anymore at all but uh he's there's a there's a common theme here where many many of these uh intellectual elite go after trump and there's something that I learned that I hope I remember to mention uh, at the end here of uh, of why he may not be uh, so pro-Trump. Almost every country will say, hey, we don't want to develop killer robots or to genetically engineer human babies. We are the good guys, right? But we can't trust our rivals not to do it. 
So we must do it first. If we allow such an arms race to develop in fields like AI and bioengineering, it doesn't really matter who wins the arms race. The loser will be humanity. Unfortunately, just when global cooperation is more needed than ever, some of the most powerful leaders and countries in the world are now deliberately undermining global cooperation. Leaders like the U.S. president, which was Trump at the time, tell us that, the, that there is an inherent contradiction between nationalism and globalism and that we should choose nationalism and reject globalism. But this is a dangerous mistake. There's no contradiction between nationalism and globalism because nationalism isn't about hating foreigners. Nationalism isn't about loving your compatriots. And in the 21st century, in order to protect the safety and the future of our compatriots, you must cooperate with foreigners. So in the 21st century, good nationalists must be also globalists. Now, globalism doesn't mean establishing a global government, right? Of course not. Abandoning all national traditions or opening the border to unlimited immigration. Rather, globalism means a commitment to some global rules. Rules that don't deny the uniqueness of each nation, but only regulate the relations between nations. This is a very, very good example that he brings up. I have to give credit where credit's due, but it's overly simplified in my opinion. Here we go. And a good model is the Football World Cup. The World Cup is a competition between nations, and people often show fierce loyalty to their national team. But at the same time, the World Cup is also an amazing display of global harmony. France can't play football against Croatia unless the French and the Croatians agree to the same rules for the game. And that's globalism in action. If you like the World Cup, you are already a globalist. Crowd laughs again. Now, hopefully nations could agree on global rules, not just for football, but also for how to prevent ecological collapses, how to regulate dangerous technologies, and how to reduce global inequality, how to make sure, for example, that AI benefits Mexican textile workers and not only American software engineers. Now, of course, this is going to be much more difficult than football, but not impossible, because the impossible well, we already have accomplished the impossible. We've already escaped the violent jungle in which we humans have lived throughout history. For thousands of years, humans lived under the law of the jungle in a condition of omnipresent war. The law of the jungle said that for every two nearby countries, there is a plausible scenario that they will go to war against each other in the next year. Under this law, peace meant only the temporary absence of war. When there was, quote, peace between, say, Athens and Sparta or France and Germany, it meant that now they are not at war, but next year they might be. And for thousands of years, people had assumed that it was impossible to escape this law. But in the last few decades, humanity has managed to do the impossible, to break the law and to escape the jungle. He's taken a, a, a direct quote from George H.W. Bush, The Law of the Jungle, right? I, I'm sure that George H.W. Bush took that quote from somebody else, but 
you see the new world order at play here. Like the, the way that they're using these terminologies and the, the, the way that they're laying the, their verbiage out, it's all on the same page. So um, anyway, uh, we have built the rule-based liberal global order, which I should have waited to say that liberal global order. That's just a new way of saying new world order. Liberal is kind of interchangeable with new, in my opinion, as far as this goes, because liberalism always pushes for new things um progressivism right uh the true definition of liberal we all know is not anything to do with progressivism but liberal global order new world order same shit so let me let me take that sentence back to where it started we have built the rule-based liberal global order that despite many imperfections has nevertheless created the most prosperous and most peaceful era in human history the very meaning of the word peace has changed peace no longer means just the temporary absence of war peace now means the implausibility of war there are many countries which you simply cannot imagine going to war against each other in the next year like france and germany there are still wars in some parts of the world i come from the middle east so believe me i know this perfectly well but it shouldn't blind us to the overall global picture We're now living in a world in which war kills fewer people than suicide and gunpowder is far less dangerous to your life than sugar. Most countries with notable exceptions like Russia don't even fantasize about conquering and annexing their neighbors, which is why most countries can't afford to spend maybe just about 2% of their GDP on defense while spending far, far more on education and health care. This is not a jungle. Unfortunately, we have gotten so used to the wonderful situation that we take it for granted, and we are therefore becoming extremely careless. Instead of doing everything that we can to strengthen the fragile nature of the globalism, countries neglect it and even deliberately undermine it. The global order is now like a house that everybody inhabits and nobody repairs. It can hold on for a few more years, but if we continue like this, it will collapse. And we will find ourselves back in the jungle of omnipresent war. We've forgotten what it's like, but believe me, as a historian, you don't want to be back there. It is far, far worse than you imagine. Now, this guy is a historian, but he's got a lot of criticism about the way that he remembers history. And I will... I will break that down for sure. Yes, our species has evolved in that jungle and lived and even prospered there for thousands of years. But if we return there now with the powerful new technologies of the 21st century, our species will probably annihilate itself. Of course, even if we disappear, it will not be the end of the world. Something will survive. Perhaps the rats will eventually take over and rebuild civilization. Perhaps then the rats will learn from our mistakes. But I very much hope we can rely on the leaders assembled here and not on the rats. Thank you. Now, Whitney Webb, who is a very interesting, uh, I think she speaks hyperbolic uh, in hyperbolic fashion sometimes. She believes that he is referring to the commoners, you and me as the rats. And that's why I said that earlier. Um, 
I do kind of actually think that it is kind of like a quip, right? It's kind of like a, a quick little way to to throw shade at the at the people that don't agree with what's going on at Davos. So I didn't agree with that until I really looked into who this dude was, who this Yuval Noah Harari was or is. He's still alive. So he's an Israeli, right? That's a red flag for a lot of people. Not for me. I think that there's good people all over the place and you should too. But as I mentioned, he's an atheist. He is a homosexual, which again, not a problem. But he, he checks off all the boxes, right? He, he check, He's a Middle Easterner that likely, I don't know how loyal to Israel he is, um, but he is an, he's a foreign homosexual globalist. And an atheist. Um, he's a historian. He went to Oxford, I know for a fact. And he also th- they don't really list that too much here on his uh on his Wikipedia, but I know I, I think that they actually do somewhere. I saw it maybe yeah, no, they don't list it on his Wikipedia. But um oh yeah, they do. I'm sorry. Yeah, his alma mater, Hebrew University of Jerusalem, the Jesus College in Oxford. That's, I guess, the same thing. I don't know. I don't know much about academia. I'm not going to lie. But um, this dude is very, very interesting in the way that he wrote books about history. His The, the titles of his books, um, they, they sound pretty darn interesting for sure. But uh, the first one that really got him on the map was Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. And then he wrote another one, Homo Deus. Uh, brief history of tomorrow, and then 21 lessons for the 21st century. Um, very marketable stuff and and fun, right? I mean, this is all good, good, fun stuff. And he's only 45 years old. Um, you know, young dude got a lot of promise in this whole globalist deal here. But you know, there's some controversy over the way that he was publishing his book. Now he he put out this this um, you know history of humans, and in order to publish it in Russia, he had to make some heavy edits, and he did that with no problem, even though he stands up for liberalism, right? And and he he acts like he's a proponent of truth, and he wants history, true history, to be available for all, unless it gets in the way of his wallet, right? I mean, this is something that I think is a common theme. And I think a lot of people fall prey to this this whole capitalist world. I mean, the world is capitalist. Let's fucking face it. People act like they want it to be socialist. You don't want it to be socialist unless you're at the top, dude. You really don't. Um, it's it's very interesting that he that he was willing to make so many edits to not disparage Putin, but he talks a lot of shit about Russia in his own works and things, you know. Um, he was also a philanthropist, and the only reason that he's a philanthropist was that he donated a million dollars to the World Health Organization when Donald Trump said that they were going to pull out of the World Health Organization when COVID hit. So you heard a lot of low-key jabs at Trump during that speech, maybe a few, maybe not a lot, but the dude is is clearly not um, this humanity-loving individual. He's He's got some some issues with the way that he breaks things down. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it doesn't make sense that he would, uh, that he would be talking about spiritual ideas, talking about God, talking about divine creation, things like this, 
when he's atheist. I mean, you know, I, I understand that he's trying to appeal, but that is what we call in the business a shill. If you're trying to just portray yourself as something that you're not talking about the sacred of the the sacredness of the human soul, and you're not you're not actually standing behind that ideology. That's a problem. That's a problem for a lot of people, and it should be, quite frankly. So I don't know. I, I do think that it's very, very sad that we find ourselves in this position. But these are the people that are making the policies, man. These are the people that are motivated enough to go out there and try and do something. As for his book, the Sapiens book that he was that, you know, that I referenced a couple of times. There's a lot of well-known history or, you know, indoctrination, however you want to look at this. But even other academics criticize his lack of facts. He talks about humans gaining consciousness 70,000 years ago. Um, he doesn't really show facts, though, at all in the book. Um, it seems like this guy had the credentials. Um, he checks all the boxes for people that would sell books, right? I mean, Michelle Obama released her book, and I know for a fact that there were some patriots or people that that disguised themselves as patriots, like the Black Rifle community people. Um, one dude, I'm not going to say his name, but he wrote a book about his service and things like that. And I don't doubt that it sold more books than than uh, Michelle Obama, but I will also venture out and say that he has also uh, kind of turned his back to some shady shit that's going on just to kind of fatten his pockets and and progress that coffee company. Now, um, I buy the coffee. I, I don't buy it because I think that they're standing up for America because they're not. But they uh, they do have good coffee. It's it tastes good. Um, that's that's the thing, man. If you're going to try and, and be, uh, you know, holistic with everything that you do. Good fucking luck. Good luck, because I guarantee you right now you're listening to some podcasts that don't give a fuck about you know, arming you with knowledge. They're talking about crystals and they're talking about, you know, all kinds of Eastern bullshit that doesn't even really fit into the way that you as, as an American really would, would actually benefit from. Um, Cause a lot of these people believe the same ideology, even though they're atheists, you can be atheist and believe that crystals help you. Right. Um, it's very interesting. We're, we're, we're finding ourselves in interesting times here. And, you know, I'm releasing this the day after Christmas, two days after Christmas, really, is when probably a lot of my American friends will hear this. But, uh, yeah, just a real shit show that we're going through. And you see people like this uh, Yuval here really painting themselves in a different light than what they actually are. I would venture to say that everyone at Davos is not who they really pretend or who I should say that they're not who they pretend to be. They're, they're someone completely different and they're all shills. They're all shills. Again, a shill is just someone that doesn't come at you in an honest way. So um, if anyone questions, if I am a shill or not, feel free to reach out. I always encourage you to, to cross reference things that I say. And I don't just say that, so that you would uh, be like, oh, he's telling me to cross-reference him. That means I don't really need to. He's he's on. Uh, dude, check everything that I say. When you have time, obviously, people are busy, and this is why you listen to these things. That's why you listen to podcasts, and this is why you're a Patreon subscriber. 
And I'm thankful for that. But you're probably subscribed to a Patreon or two out there that is not telling you the truth at all. And they're just trying to be in vogue, you know, and, and, and what's in vogue for us as alternative thinkers. And I put that in heavy quotes, but what's in vogue for us is just the opposite of what's in vogue for the, 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 um, the yuppies, right? That's an old reference, but the people that follow the mainstream media, they're not, they're not on your side either, right? They're just going, they're going against what everyone else is doing. And then there's this niche community that is going against what the mainstream is. So it's just, it, you know, you got to pay attention to what these people are talking to. Um, we're going to expose some things, me and a couple friends. We will be soon. Um, we just want to gather the intel that we need. Uh, but we're suspicious of people. We're suspicious of quite a few people, actually. So we'll get... Uh, We'll get that out there eventually, but um, as long as you're entertained, I guess that that is something that is that that you know holds some value for sure. But um, be cautious of what's going on because it is very very interesting. So, thank you guys always. I hope that you had a merry Christmas, all my Patreon subscribers. Uh, this was a long one because I read a 20 minute long speech and commented on it and then gave you a little more. So I hope that you appreciate that. Obviously, um, I hope that you're all subscribed to the YouTube channel. It's a little difficult to find right now, but I'm almost at 100 subscribers. Once I do that, I can make the URL custom and I can put in my own, you know, dangerous world pod, uh, you know, youtube.com slash dangerous world pod. I'll be doing that soon, hopefully by the end of the year, I hope. Uh, but this episode, the free episode, not this portion that you just heard, but the free episode was out on the YouTube channel about two weeks ago. So I'm going to be doing some more of those safer topics. Of course, we talked NFTs and the metaverse, which I think is safe. There's no COVID words in there. There's no geopolitics. There is a little bit. There was more than I expected, actually. But uh, that wasn't the topic. So uh, I appreciate the support on all platforms, especially this one. This is the one that really actually helps me pay bills and helps me try to get a little bit ahead. So uh, thank you guys. And I hope that you had a Merry Christmas. Have a very happy and safe new year. I know that that's not cool to say. And I actually uh, discourage people from saying be safe. But New Year's is not a time to drink and drive or to fuck around. So be safe. Be smart. Uh, take care of your family, your friends. Do your thing. It's rolling into 2022 in a good way because it's going to be tough. I guarantee you it's going to be tough. A lot of people are going to lose jobs. A lot of people are going to lose jobs. Uh, possibly myself. So we'll see. But guys, take care. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. I'll even say happy holidays. But thank you very much. And uh, I'll be seeing you very soon. Okay, take care. Mm-hmm.